Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. First Peter uh, chapter one. As, as followers of Jesus, we really believe this to be our authority, right? Um, and so you may be here and you would say, you know, I don't know if I really believe, we've said this before, but you know, I don't know if I really believe that this is God's word. Ah, that's okay. We're still glad you're here. Yeah, you know, you may say, well, I don't know if I really believe what's in the Bible. And we'd say, well, that's okay. We're glad you're here. You may say, well, I have lots of doubts and questions about what's in the Bible. Hey, that's okay. We're glad that you're here because we're, we pray that one day you'll come to maybe value some of the truths that are found in here. And maybe one day you'll come to understand who Jesus Christ is, uh, the Savior uh, of the world. Just before we read from 1 Peter, um, a couple years ago, I heard a pastor make this statement. If we're not attracting the same kind of people that Jesus attracted, then we're not preaching the same message that Jesus preached. And, and I read that, and it made me actually stop on my tracks. I was like, hmm, I've got to think about that. If we're not attracting the same kind of people that Jesus attracted, then we're not preaching the same message that Jesus preached. What in the world could that possibly mean when he made that statement? I was kind of wrestling through that. And I began to think, is the world hearing something different from the church than maybe than what Jesus was was saying because you know oftentimes maybe churches may be more pleasing to the people that actually ran from Jesus because there was a whole group of people in the New Testament when you read about his life they were frustrated with Jesus they doubted Jesus they were always questioning Jesus and you know who it was that was doing that it was the clean it was the moral it was the self-righteous and for some Jesus was just a little too radical he was a little too dangerous a little too unconventional and so uh, what kind of people were attracted to Jesus, when I, when I think that through, are those the same people that want to hang out with us? Uh, because Jesus, obviously, he attracted the rich and the poor, the religious, the non-religious, the social outcast, and the social elite. And, and they all became very aware of their sin. But then God was, Jesus was proclaiming this amazing grace of God, this amazing forgiving grace of God. And so as we read through the Bible, we, we, are, we come to the conclusion it tells one story. Lots of scriptures, lots of Bible verses, but it actually tells one story, the story of God's amazing grace coming to sinful men because of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the hero of the Bible. He's the one that all of the scriptures speak about. The Bible is not a divine self-help book that helps you get your best life ever. That's not what it is. That's not the Bible. The Bible is foremost as a revelation of the one who came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And the Bible is not primarily what we have to do. It's primarily about what Jesus has done for us. And if we don't understand that when we read the Bible, we'll end up reading it very moralistically, uh, very legalistically. And so that's why it's really important to understand as we read the scripture, this is about Christ, uh, not about us. 
That is about this amazing grace of God. And it's true. We've described it many ways. It's scandalous. It's undomesticated. It's uncontrollable. And yet it's the one thing that is needed to set you and I free. The amazing grace of God. With that, uh, turn to 1 Peter. I'm sure you're probably already there by now. I have it on the screen for those who don't have your Bibles with you. Let's read through it. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And this morning I want to talk to you about two ways that you can live your life. Because, you know, last week we, we, we talked about holiness, we, you know, about getting us through the tough times. And I want to kind of follow up on that. Why would anybody want to live holy? Like, what's the motivation to live that kind of life? And so we're going to be talking about that a little later this morning. So two um, ways that we can live our life. Uh, Tim Keller, pastor in New York, puts it this way. Moral performance. You can live your life, the moral performance narrative... Or you can live your life the grace narrative. The moral performance narrative is, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. Yes, absolutely. His blood was shed for me so I could have a relationship with him. But after that, we fall in this trap. But now I have to actually perform to continue to earn his favor. It's like we're always believing God is evaluating our performance. You know, we have access uh, to God uh, because of good behavior. The thing is, though, God has already given all the grace that he has to you. That's what's amazing. But yet we fall in this trap that i got to do more. But the thing is, that's not grace. Now, I do believe God rewards good behavior. But we don't do that to earn more of God. So the second option is this grace narrative. Completely different than the moral performance narrative. Grace narrative is not, it's not trying to earn God's favor. We're not trying to get things from God. We don't, we don't think that we can earn more grace from God if we live a certain way. The grace narrative tells us that you can't earn more favor. You can't earn more grace. And as I said last week, we talked about this holiness, this idea of being set apart. So, so what would be my motivation to pursue holiness. I mean, is there any benefit? Because some people think, well, if I'm not going to get anything more from God, then I'll just live the way I want to. We're, we're so used to, we do something and we get something in return. And so if there's nothing to gain from living a whole life, then why, why does it really matter? Because I got everything that God has you know, given to me. Paul actually addressed this in Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace 
may increase? Because it was that mindset. Well, the more I sin, the more grace that God pours on me. I sin, God's grace is a little, reaches a little farther. I sin beyond that, His grace reaches a little farther than that. And so people were starting to think, is that what I'm supposed to do so I can get more grace of God? And Paul says, by no means are we supposed to live that way. We are those who, are, who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We just don't live that way. So the question is, why would I want to live differently? What am I going to gain from living a different life or living this life of holiness that you talked about uh, last week? Well, in 1 Peter, right there in the opening uh, verse of 17 that we read, it says, since you call on a father, since you call on a father, we want to live differently. We, we want to pursue holiness. You know why? Because we have a loving Father. And that's one of the reasons we get motivated to live a life that's different because we have a loving Father and a Father who disciplines us. See, we don't have a Father who just points the finger all the time with this judgmental eye when you know Him as your personal Savior. So it's helping us, not hurting us. So why would I want to live different? Continue reading. It says, live out your time as foreigners. I think that's another reason right there. Why we would want to live differently. Because we live as foreigners. And so we're told not to get uh, comfortable. Heaven is our home and earth is the guest house. You don't trash the guest house. You know, maybe as parents, when you were going to go over and visit another family and you're taking your kids and you may say to your kids, okay, we can't treat that place like our home. There'll be no jumping up and down on the sofa. There's no throwing balls around downstairs in the rec room. This is not our home. We treat it differently. And I think that's the connotation that Peter is telling us here. So live as foreigners. Don't get too comfortable. You're just living in the guest house. Um, and then I, I think ultimately maybe the one, the, the biggest reason why we are motivated to live a life that is different, because he goes on to say, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed. We are motivated to live a different life because Christ died for us. He, he redeemed us. He, he, he bought us back. He, he purchased us. This whole concept comes, which many would be familiar with, comes from the idea of a slave market. You know, all these slaves get put up on the auction block and someone buys them. They say they have redeemed that slave. They pulled him out of the slave market and now he has a new owner. That's the concept that was happening here. Was what we have been bought from the slave market of sin and we have this new ownership. And things really changed. What's interesting, he says that been redeemed, purchased, bought with not with perishable things. So we understand perishable things and Peter says we haven't been bought that with perishable things like silver and gold, which we normally think that is something that gets last forever. And he says we've been bought from an empty way of life. If people followed you around, 
what would they say you live for? What do they would say you live for? It's amazing to see how, what people live for. Some people live just for the weekend. I, I did construction uh, for three summers in a row while I was going through college. And uh, every Friday, just happened to be what, what, how it worked, but every Friday the paycheck would come. About, uh, you know, 4.30 in the afternoon, 5 o'clock, it was time over. People would head out, and they knew. They, my, the guys I worked with, they just lived for the weekend. Some of them would go pick up their girlfriend, and they would, you know, go and kind of party for the weekend. Usually the partying involved a lot of drinking, and, and of course, Monday morning, the evidence was on their face. They lived for the weekend. What do you live for? Your job? Reputation? your success, your finances, because all of that is perishable. And one day, all of that will be gone. So there's got to be more to life than just those things that are going to pass away. It's an empty way of life. Maybe for you, it's your reputation. Then in verse 19, which, by the way, may be one of the most amazing verses that you ever read in your life. So what have we been redeemed with? with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, the precious blood of Jesus. We haven't been redeemed by something. We have been redeemed by someone, something that is not perishable like silver and gold. There's a man in Australia who has been described as a man who has precious blood. His name is uh, James Harrison. Harrison has an antibody in his blood which is given to mothers whose systems would attack their unborn babies. When they discovered this antibody in his system, which was about 60 years ago, he's been giving blood for 60 years. When they discovered this antibody, they were able to create a life-saving medication from his blood, which now is credited for saving 2.5 million babies born in Australia. That's some pretty precious blood. That your blood could save over 2 million lives. But there's a blood that's even greater. The blood of Jesus, which has save countless millions and millions of people from an eternity in hell. The precious blood of Jesus. And it's because of that that motivates me to want to live differently, knowing what he did for me. I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And as I just read it, the verse goes on to describe that he was perfect with a defect. Those living in this culture would completely understand that because in the Old Testament sacrificial system, uh, when you sinned, you'd have to sacrifice an animal. And the most common was a lamb. And it said you had to bring one without blemish, with, with no defects. So in other words, you couldn't bring a lamb who was blind in one eye. You couldn't bring a lamb who was kind of tilting on the side. You couldn't bring a lamb that was sick. You had to bring your very best, and that the very best would be sacrificed, and all it ever And again, but then there's the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God that was sufficient enough to actually buy us out, redeem us out 
of a slave market of sin. That sacrifice paid a price so that you and I would no longer be under the power of sin. In fact, Paul says here, you are not your own, right? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. One of the reasons we're motivated to live a life that is different is because we have a loving father, because we have a father who disciplines us, because this is not our home. We're just passing through. We're motivated to live differently because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And then you continue reading in verse 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world. This wasn't his second plan. This was not plan B. This wasn't like a last-ditch effort. It's not like God woke up one morning and went, oh my goodness, I didn't realize those people would do that. Oh my goodness, they messed up. Now what am I going to do? No. Before the creation of the world, this plan was put in, in place to redeem you and me. This is not a plan B, Jesus dying on the cross for us. This was his plan to redeem us from our sin. Then in verse 21, it says that God has raised him from the dead and glorified him. He, he's been exalted. Philippians says he's been exalted above every, na- every, uh, every name. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. He has been exalted by God. And verse 21 makes it very clear. The only way to have your sins paid by Christ is to place your faith in Christ. That's it. That's the only way. The only way to have your sins paid by Christ is to place your faith in Christ. See, when Christ died on the cross, he offered to pay for your sins. He offered to to pay a debt that you owed by the way that you couldn't pay. So the question would be, have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins? Think about that. I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm talking about have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins? Have you placed your trust in him? Because he's paid the price, but if we don't allow him to pay the price for our sins, you know what happens, right? We pay the price. We have to pay the price for our sins because we rejected the payment that was offered. That's kind of the gospel story in a nutshell, isn't it? That there's bad news, but there's good news. Bad news is you owe a debt that you cannot pay. That's the reality. We all have a debt that there's no way we could pay. But the good news is Jesus paid the debt that we owed. He paid the debt that he didn't know, but we owed. And so I think that's one of the reasons that we strive to live differently, strive to live a life that's holy, not so we can gain more of God's grace, not so that we can gain more of his favor, not so that we can gain more of heaven. No, we're motivated to live differently because of what he did for us. We're different because he died for us. 100% of the blessing is ours. 100% of the burden is his. of the joy is ours. 100% of the cost is his. And because of that, because of what Christ has done for us, I I think it does 
make us want to live differently. We treat money differently. We, we look at our marriages differently. We choose entertainment differently. We handle struggles differently. We treat time differently. We treat our kids differently. We look at what God commands us to do differently. See, we love him because he first loved us. We want to obey. We long to obey. And so one of the reasons that we're motivated, I think, as followers of Jesus to live differently is because we do have a loving Father. And we do have a Father who wants the best for us. And so he'll correct us along the way because he's not looking to hurt us. He wants to help us. I think we're motivated to live differently because we know we're just passing through this life. We're just in the guest house. We're not home yet. I think we're motivated to live differently too because Jesus purchased us out of a slave market of sin. He redeemed us. He paid that debt that you and I could never pay for ourselves. He went ahead and paid it. And because of all of that, the conclusion is right there in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have since so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. The natural consequence of living a grace narrative is love. They will know you're a Christian by how often you attend church. No. They will know that you're a Christian by how much money you give. No. Scripture says, they'll know you're a follower of mine by the way you love one another. So he says, love deeply. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's no